When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Today we're talking about what you need to know from the race to the Premier League to surviving the drop to the National League. Joining me, Mark Chapman, for your ICYMI on the EFL, the CBS, PNE, and many other acronyms in between. The Athletics EFL writer, Nancy Frostick, and EFL goal centurion, Sam Parkin. Uh, it'll get better, I promise. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. <laughs> Vincent Company is the new first team manager at Burnley. I think we've seen obvious flaws already. And Swift shoot. Oh, there it is! Reading and nuts. This is my favourite division, it really is. John Jules oh. into the penalty area. Tyrese John Jules, what a goal! I love the way that they've started the season. I think League Two's really strong this year. Well, Nancy and Sam, we have an awful lot to rattle through and loads of good stuff to talk about on the pitch but I'm going to start off the pitch or in fact with the pitch Nancy because that is Coventry's problem at the moment who've only played two of their five games so far just take us through the story yeah I mean if anyone's looked at the table they're probably thinking what's gone on there if they don't know the context um because Coventry are rock bottom with, uh, yeah, not many points because they've not played many. And it's basically because at the Commonwealth Games, they had the Rugby Sevens tournament at the, the CBS Arena and played 65 um, Rugby Sevens games in three days, which I think even the most durable pitch would probably get a bit churned up. But it sounds like it, it was in a bit of a bad a bad way. And the first three home games um, in the league have, have all been postponed. So they're going to have a bit of catching up to do. And then they had a Carabao Cup game that they um, got moved up to Burton to the Pirelli Stadium. So yeah, they're, they're in a bit of a difficult situation again, because, you know, anyone who knows a bit of Coventry's history will know that their tenants uh, in the stadium, so Wasps own it. And so they probably only have limited control over these things. But I think work's started now. They do. Coventry CEO Dave Boddy said last week, we simply want our landlords, Wasps, to provide a pitch which is safe and fit for purpose for their tenant, the City's Football Club, to play at home. The issue as well is that, like with a few rugby union clubs, actually, all is not well with Wasps and their financial situation. HMRC are involved in a a claim with, with them for an unpaid tax bill. So, aside from the pitch, you just worry about the whole situation, don't you? Yeah. I mean, I personally feel sorry for Coventry fans who have just, you know, been dragged from pillar to post when it comes to playing home games in the last sort of five years or so. And yeah, there is that concern because I don't really know what happens if, you know, if if something serious happens to Wasps, then what what happens to the stadium? And, you know, if Coventry have got that agreement with Wasps, what happens to that? So I think by all accounts, you know, rugby as a whole is, is in a, tricky spot because maybe the margins are a bit smaller than in football and because of COVID a lot of clubs have taken a bit of a hit so I don't think it's probably the end of it at the minute for for Coventry unfortunately. Mark Robbins must be pulling his hair out Sam. Yeah absolutely I think 
players are creatures of habit. So to have this disruption when you're preparing for a game is the worst thing. I think now that there's a bit of clarity that the first game is going to be next Wednesday, at least Mark Robbins can cater his training towards that. But players having games called off on Thursday and Fridays is no good for anyone. They'll be desperate to get out there. And the other thing is that the pitch problem is a real issue because of the type of football that Coventry like to play. I know Adi Vivash very well. I played with him, learned his trade at Chelsea. He's a big influence on that squad. And I know for a fact how much the players... Nancy's absolutely right about the fans having to go to St Andrews. But the players really enjoy playing on a good surface. And it has an effect on the type of football Coventry want to play. So bear in mind the rugby is going to start again in September. The pitch is going to be an influence throughout this season. Last championship season, they won six games off the bat at home at the Rico Arena until the rugby started to take an effect. So it's a big problem. The other issue I see, the players, if you look at the table are going to start to need snookers soon if they don't get some games played. Well, I was going and to ask you that. I was going to ask you that. Is is playing two games compared to the others playing five already a worrying case of catch-up? Yes, and I think that Nancy will probably know more about this, but there could be sanctions as well for, for what's happened, which could affect the club as well. I just think the players are probably in pre-season mode. You need five or six games Everyone will tell you that, especially the experienced boys, to get the match fitness in your legs. You're not you're not good to go for 90 minutes until a month into the season. So these players are still going to be behind in fitness. I don't know what Mark Robinson has been doing on the training ground, but I would imagine there'd have been 11 v 11 set up, maybe some practice matches, because they're they're liable to pick up injuries right now as well, and um, they're not going to have that that core fitness that you need to churn out maximum performance. So I think this is real problematic for Coventry. They'll need to pick up some results because there are if there are sanctions possibly come in and if maybe they're going to lose one or two in the window as well, there's strong interest in Callum O'Hare for one. This could be a season where Coventry aren't thinking about the higher echelons of the division but actually looking over their shoulders. Nancy? I mean, it is a worry. I'd, at the moment, I'd, the EFL have got involved in as far as sending out some independent um, grass experts, and I forget the name for them, so apologies to grass experts out there, but they have a name. Um, Look, that's a comp- it's a competitive market, is that, Nancy? And by not giving them a plug, they're going to be fuming that they haven't got a, a one up on their, you know, anyhow. Number of grass experts that listen to this pod. They, they, uh, they are in hiding around with this one. They've been sent out anyway. They've looked at it. And um, and yeah, so they, they've got involved in in that sort of respect, the EFL. I don't actually know beyond that at what point they would then look at sanctions because it's this is a lesson in all those clubs that are, are tenants in their own ground and who have sold their stadium either to a, a third party or their owner who owns a you know holding company and all those various tricks that we've seen over the last couple of years again Coventry have kind of been less than of that for the last five years but this is just another case of I think why fans get so twitchy when the stadium gets separated from the club and so it, it will be yeah it will be worrying and I can imagine Mark Robbins is is not happy and I don't think anyone at Coventry is very happy but it's a tricky one for them. Uh, let's let's talk about some actual football then I want to deal with two of the relegated sides so far from the Premier League last season uh, in Watford and Burnley. Do you think, Sam, 
a lot of people, maybe including Burnley fans, would have expected them to be doing slightly better at this stage? Mm, I'm not too sure. I think it's been such a turnaround in, in players and obvious style. I mean, I think it's fascinating when you think of how Burnley have played with such great success, such a unique style in the Premier League. Sean Dice is another former teammate of mine, so I've got utmost respect for him for keeping him in that division, playing with respect, you know, quite turgid football at, at times, um, quite one-dimensional. So I think that was going to evolve. It was going to change at some point, And this summer, they have gone for it. I mean, the average age of the players they've brought in, the profile of the players is incredibly exciting. Cherry picked from, you know, championship clubs and, and loanies from Premier League clubs, obviously reliant on that Manchester City link. And the football is just pretty unique even to championship level. But within that, I think we've seen obvious flaws already. Josh Cullen, the midfielder that worked with company at Anderlecht, looks like he's going to be integral to receiving the ball and progressing it up the pitch. They lost the goal in that fashion at the weekend. There seems to be that... Um, unanimous um, kind of hush around Turf Moor when the goalkeeper has the ball at his feet. So that's probably adding to a bit of anxiety right now. So they're going to have to be patient, I suppose. And I see them having a bit of a weakness already with the aerial threat in the championship. Blackpool definitely preyed on that at the weekend. And when you've got one young centre-half in Harwood Bellis from Manchester City, excellent ball-playing footballer that we saw at the weekend with kind of two assists, long raking passes. I'm not sure how much he's going to enjoy coming up against the likes of Gary Medine every week. So I think already (laughs) championship managers have identified where they can get at Burnley. That said, some of the football has been beautiful and um, some of the forward players, Martson on the left, Taylor in from Southampton. Um, I don't think it's going to stop there. I think the the checkbook's kind of uh, open. So maybe there's going to be one or two in the next week to, to add to that firepower. To actually buy permanently or to to explore the loan market. I mean, I, I don't know where they're at with their loan limit, but to, to explore the loan market again or more permanent. It sounds like they're in for a striker. And I think that would be sensible given the, the amount of creativity they've got in the side. And that's not being disrespectful to Ashley Barnes and, and Rodriguez, but just to expect them to click their fingers and get 20 goals uh, because they've applied their trade in the Premier League. I'm not sure it, it definitely translates. I'm not sure they're... At this stage of their career, they're going to plunder that amount of goals. It's not a necessity because they've got lots of attacking players, but I would think for Vincent Company to feel that he's got a bit more of a sure thing, he'd want to get one more striker indefinitely. Whereas Watford, Nancy, are, are more under siege, really, for their with with some of their players at the moment. I spoke to Rob Edwards on Saturday, and we were talking about actually he seems to have created a really good bond between him and the fans already they beat burnley on a on a friday night and the the ground was rocking for that but i suppose whilst they've had a good start working out where watford are might be easier once the transfer window shuts yeah i don't know if it's necessarily felt that way with them before as well when they've come down quite this many of their players maybe being being wanted as they are and it's been really interesting just to see how Rob Edwards will will negotiate that because, you know, he's still a young manager and he's very exciting and he he did great stuff at Forest Green and I know that they definitely weren't happy when it came to him leaving and and going to Watford and I wonder if if Watford fans maybe would have expected the start that they've had or for things to have gone as they have. But it's going to be really interesting just to see who they can keep hold of or where things are looking like they might be falling through. I think with Everton and... 
So, is it Ever- no, Villa. Villa and so- yeah, Villa, it's hard yeah. to keep track of it all even just because there yeah. are that many clubs kind of linked. I think we'll know better with them. I, I think they're always going to be contenders maybe a bit more quickly as well than, than Burnley just because of the overhaul, like Sam said, of the ideolo- ideology of Burnley as well. Mind you, one of the players that Watford did manage to sell Nancy, work this one out, is Hassan Kamara to Udinese, part of the Pozzo family club for around 60, I'm just saying that as a fact, that's all, for around £16 million. And then Udinese loaned him back to Watford. Yeah. Um. Shall, shall I just leave that as they, as they are the facts and, and we won't comment any, would that be easier, do you think? But quite possibly. I mean, yeah, they 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 get on well, don't they? Those two clubs, we know that they uh, <laughs> good working relationship. So, shall we say? Yeah, let's say that. The other the other interesting thing though, Sam, with with Rob Edwards and and Watford, they brought in a couple of players from Villa on loan, and this is as EFL fans of the league will know over the last three four years. This is the way. This is the way so many clubs want to go. Get get in managers who have good youth connections. You know, Rob Edwards was an England youth coach, wasn't he? Or good academy connections, and then you can try and exploit that loan market from the Premier League because they'll feel more comfortable sending their players to those youth academy coaches. Definitely, and and maybe not the type of move you would envisaged Watford doing previously. So Rob Edwards is probably having an effect in, in that regard. I've been really impressed with him. I'm fascinated again to see how this goes. Loads of question marks, as Nancy said, about him making that move. But for me, being being an ex-player and same kind of era as Rob Edwards, making his way in the game, I know how difficult it is for young coaches to get the opportunity. So once that presented itself, you've got to go for it. I mean, it's life-changing money. And if it doesn't work out for, I would I would presume, and if it doesn't work out for Rob Edwards, given the success, which <laughs> there's a good opportunity it won't work out at Watford, but, you know, because c- of the, the championship at, uh, that he won at Forest Green, he'll get another good opportunity, League One, League Two, lower reaches of the championship. So he had to make that move. I think that that club, in terms of the player power, has been a massive issue. So I hope he gets the respect because I think that's been a difficulty there when you've got players essentially down in tools, for for a better phrase, under previous managers and managers getting sacked. It's not a recipe for long-term success. So hopefully he's got garnered that respect. I've heard some of the comments from the likes of Tom Cleverley, who really bought into his, his ideas, his detail. He spoke to them at length in the summer. So yeah, so far so good. It's just a bit of a conundrum as to where the creativity, the goals are going to come from if the, the likes of Saar and, and Pedro and Dennis all leave. It's it's a bit of a lottery. Defensively, it's the same guys who were unbelievable in the championship previously. They could almost feel the same goalkeeper and the, and the back five. But going forwards, who's going to get them those goals? They don't need loads because they won't concede many. But the guys that have brought in all unknown quantities right now. And they... Maybe they thought that at the weekend of where they're going to get the goals from because they didn't score at Preston. But then nobody can score (laughs) against Preston, can they, Nancy? No, no, this is it. Um, Not conceded yet, which is... uh... I mean, that is is absolutely phenomenal. (laughs) I mean, that really is phenomenal. But then they can't score for the life of them. So, you know, they've (laughs) they've only scored one across the whole five games. I spoke to... 
to Freddie Woodman actually and a couple of others up at uh, and Ryan Lowe up at Preston for for a piece that'll be going out this week and Freddie was just kind of like oh yeah you know we just keep going but didn't seem too kind of impressed with himself at having kept so many clean sheets so far but he sounds like he's enjoying himself and that things have clicked quite quickly um with Preston so they're uh, they're an interesting one to watch actually especially because of Ryan Lowe's uh, am I allowed to swear on here yes He's got a no knobheads rule and he signs. Um, I think that was his his actual uh, his actual phrase. So hopefully that's reassuring for all, all the new lads that he's brought in that they can put themselves in that group. I have the uh, I have the same rule uh, on this podcast as well. Um, only one knobhead allowed, and that's me. So on the uh, uh, the other interesting thing with Ryan Lowe, Sam, I I I really like Ryan Lowe. I think wherever he's been, he's done really really good jobs. I mean the what he tried to fight off at Berry was so, so impressive. But we talk about that Rob Edwards move from Forest Green Rovers to to Watford. And you could sort of say the same from Ryan Lowe from Plymouth to Preston. There were a few eyebrows raised at that because of how Plymouth are run. And we've had their owner on this pod in the, in the past. You know, a really, really good club that appeared to be going in the right direction. And that's nothing against Preston. But that was a big decision for Ryan Lowe to make last season. I think it was, yeah, because you're you're not going to necessarily be uh, walking into a club that's going to have the the uh, budget or the the ammunition to to really challenge for Premier League. So I think it was a a big shout for him. It's interesting this season because you associate Ryan Lowe with really open attacking football. So this just seems bizarre. But the numbers do actually suggest that the goals are just around the corner. I think they've had the, the, the fourth most shots. Troy Parrott himself has had the third most in the in the championship. So they're going to go in for him. I think that they'd like to get Cameron Archer back from, from Aston Villa, who they had previously. I think he got seven goals last season. So And, and there's obviously speculation about Emil Reese Jakobsen potentially moving on. And Ryan Lowe's actually left him out the last couple of games, I think. So... That's one to keep an eye on. But yeah, I th- you know, if they've got the, the structure of the team right and they're not conceding at one end and the numbers are suggesting it will turn, you have, to, you have to fancy Preston to go really well this season and it'll prove to be a great move. I mean, location-wise, it's better for Ryan, isn't it, off the bat? But yes. um, yeah. he needs the team to be performing as well for the move to, to be the right one. Uh, at the time of recording, Preston and, uh, and Watford, uh, two unbeaten sides. The other two, which is great, actually, I think, Rotherham and Wigan and the the reason for that Nancy is because we talk about yo-yo between Premier League and Championship but I actually think as worrying is the yo-yo between Championship and League One and if if there's one club in particular that 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 is the is the benchmark for yo-yoing between Championship and League One it is Rotherham yeah, absolutely. And um, I spoke to the owner, Tony Stewart, last season and put him on the spot a bit. And I said, what's harder, getting out of League One or staying in the Championship? And he said, for us, it's staying in the Championship because the financial gap there is just so big. And to be honest, I didn't expect them to have started like they have because they've lost a, f- a fair few sort of key players, Michael Heckway, uh, Michael Smith, Freddie Ladapo. I know he's sort of, they knew he'd be going, but the 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 job that Paul Warren does is immense every every season and I think they've been quite unlucky especially last time they got relegated to have gone down, you know the uh, during that 
period of COVID and they were catching up and they had like 10 games in about 20 days or something ridiculous. So yeah, that I, I to be honest, I'm kind of not surprised that, that Wigan and Rotherham have started so well, only because the way that they had to play to go up last season in League One, they were having to win every single game. And I know that sounds obvious, but actually... You know, for for the likes of Plymouth and Oxford to have got, I think Plymouth did get 80 points in the end or, yeah, and they didn't get in the playoffs. You know, that's how ridiculous it was in League One last season. So I think they've probably come up and been in a better position than they have been both teams previously when they've when they've been starting off in the championship. So it, it really will be interesting. Tom? Got a lot of respect for Paul Warren. They did a few games with him towards the tail end of last season. Wears his heart on his sleeve. They had gone, I felt, mentally and physically the back end of last season. I was at Wembley for the Football League trophy final. They they somehow scraped a victory over Sutton. And I thought that was that was a positive to inspire them to to go on and, and get kind of the promotion as well. But he works them incredibly hard. I think I wouldn't say it's evolving hugely, the, the football, but they haven't got that big man. Nancy just spoke about Michael Smith moving to Sheffield Wednesday. They're playing with Ogbeni and Washington at the top at the moment. So it's a slightly different way for Rotherham to go about it. They can't be so reliant on on hitting the big centre forward or the long throws, etc. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to see them stay. And um, Liam Richardson, what an amazing story as well at, at Wigan. I think they're probably a bit more set up for the championship. I think they bought last summer with an eye on getting promoted. They're very functional, very organised, and they signed a couple of players from Portsmouth, a couple of players from Sunderland. I thought that would make the transition into the championship no problem at all. And that's kind of how it's transpiring. I don't think you're going to get free scoring Wigan. You're not going to get loads of goals in the games, but I think they'll probably do enough in the games against the teams around them, the, the, the massive six-pointers that they, they need to take points from. A final one on the championship. Why haven't we talked about the leaders? Because they, they, and I thought this last season, really, when Paul Heckingbottom took over Sheffield United, that they go under the radar. And I can't work out why Sheffield United do, I mean, you may disagree with me, but it feels to me like Sheffield United go under the radar because maybe because it's Heckingbottom himself who's just kind of just sort of slid in there and taken over again and they've just gone on their, their role. Maybe it's because it's not Chris Wilder there anymore I, because we're not analysing their tactics as much. I don't know, but they don't appear to be a story for anybody at the moment. Do you think that's fair? I, I wonder if it is just the the personality, you know, because Chris Wilder is such a, a presence, isn't he? And, you know, so such a revelation basically in the way that he he got them out of, of League One and the Championship and I'm not saying that Paul Heckenpottom's a great guy he's really he's really um when I've chatted to him before you know for for stuff about Sheffield Wednesday when he played there and stuff that's quite an interesting thing actually which um you can make what you want out of that but he's doing a brilliant job and it, it is funny it's I don't know if it's just a bit of perceived lack of glamour or something about them or the way they go about it but yeah we probably should be talking about them more. I completely agree. Snobbery, probably, isn't it? Um, yeah, to, to a degree, yeah. I think he's had a he's had a little bit of stick, and maybe people have thought that he's he's been given jobs that were too big for him, or that should have gone to other people previously. I think there's probably a bit of that about it. Um, but the facts remain: a lot of the same same players are still there. Uh, structurally, the, the the type of um, football they're playing, we saw it. Um, in the last couple of victories, the the overlapping centre halves and um, listen, they've got 
they've got the best players probably in each department in the division. I think the goalkeeper's excellent, Fodderingham. The centre-halves, you look at Sander Berg in the, in the middle. I mean, the, the the poise that he has on the ball, he's, he's a Premier League player. The, the transfer fee they paid for him and the amount of money they would be able to get back shows you that. And I suppose question marks still about, you know, if they can have out-and-out goal scorers, but you don't necessarily need that. You know, if you can share the goals around Brewster and Dyer's had a brilliant start to the season... Obviously, we know the calibre of Brewster as well, if he can get going. So I don't see that being hugely problematic and they're definitely going to be up there. Uh, and a final one, Nancy. I know we're only five games in, but Reading were tipped by many to finish bottom and they're third. Uh, Middlesbrough were tipped by many to get promoted and they're next to bottom. Which one surprises you more? I'm going to say Middlesbrough just because Reading are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> on and off the pitch dreading are nuts and you know constantly entertaining I think so um, whereas I feel like with Middlesbrough you just come to expect especially with Chris Wilder in charge you know you, the expectation maybe there is more it's nice to have a team overachieve but underachieving is a bit more of a head scratcher so obviously they sold Tavernier to uh, to Bournemouth I don't know if partially you know that, that's had an impact or mm. or what but yeah you kind of they were playing some great stuff last season you know and I, I wonder if it's just that short break, quick turnaround or something that I know a lot of managers might come to lean on maybe in the coming weeks. You know, we've not had enough time to get the ideas into them or something. But Reading, are, yeah, I'm, I'm going to enjoy watching them, whatever happens, I think, just because they're so hard to predict. Which one for you, Sam, out of those two? Um, Reading a little bit. I think, you know, everyone would have fancied them to start incredibly slowly and Paul Lintz be the manager. That's getting... <laughs> stick from from all quarters so these last two results have come from nowhere especially when you consider the low ebb they would have been at having been spanked 4-0 at Rotherham and the keeper Joe Lumley who I think big question marks considering you know the mistakes he's made at QPR and Middlesbrough in recent seasons he responded with a clean sheet he missed the the, the most recent game and um, they were able to, to win again against Middlesbrough so yeah this is siege mentality I think that Paul Lintz has probably got into the players in the summer. And there's some there's some good players to come back. I know that Lucas Jow is back in the reckoning now. You've got Mate to come back in as well. If they can get things right defensively, which I think is what Paul Lintz is focusing on, the structure of the team and that fighting spirit, then they've always had talented front players over the last few seasons, even though they've been really not fancied. So, yeah, I think, yeah, Paul Lintz, that, that's a, got the makings of a great story. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with me, Mark Chapman. Up next, we'll talk about a couple of former Manchester United coaches doing well in the EFL. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. 
And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Right, look, I know at the end of yesterday's pod, I promised that there will be no more chat about Manchester United. And and this isn't really a chat about Manchester United. It's just the next two people that we're going to talk about have got links with Manchester United in Kieran McKenna and Neil Wood. Both were coaches there, Kieran McKenna with the senior team, Neil Wood with the under-23s. Let's deal with Ipswich, first of all, where Kieran McKenna is. Top of League One, undefeated. Double figures for goals, uh, joint best defence, four wins on the spin. They have hit the ground running, Nancy. Yeah, they're looking really, really good, which I think probably every year that they've started a League One season for the last, you know, three, four years, people will have said, oh, you know, Ipswich will probably be in the mix because they're a big club, which is like the old favourite when making League One predictions. There are, you know, this number of big teams in the league this year, but they've had a bit of a torrid time I think ninth, 11th, ninth. they've never f- not finished higher than that since they got relegated but looking pretty solid interesting tactics dominating possession bit of overlapping centre-backs happening there as well and they're just intense pressing well and I think I'm led to believe that McKenna's a fan of Hansi Flick's Bayern and, and I was watching a bit of their uh, the way that they were pressing and trying to compare it, and well, talk, talk us through that because you, you you've done a big piece on the athletic on them tactically. So, what are their interesting tactics, and what are, if he is a big fan of Hansi Flick? What what is he implementing from Hansi Flick's coach coaching manual? So I looked at their possession map, and they absolutely will dominate the ball um the only areas on the on the pitch that basically they don't have more than 55% of the touches was the opposition 18 yard box which seems fair but compared to the rest of the league i mean that's just total domination on of, of possession and then yeah in terms of the the sort of comparisons if we can make them to to Bayern it's kind of that intense pressing so when they lose the ball pressing high up the pitch that if they lose it sort of within 40 metres of the opposition goal, pressing quickly. Um, if you go and watch Tyrese John Jewell's goal against Shrewsbury at the weekend, he you know there's three or four players that have pressed really quickly. He wins the ball back and then he's done a lot of hard work after that point, but he drives into the box and scores. And that is basically, if you remember that Bayern's win over, over Barca, that 8-1 in the Champions League, I think three of their first four goals were kind of that type of winning back possession and then just scoring really quickly. So it's quite interesting to see that approach in League One because it's maybe a bit different to to what you might expect or for teams like we've talked about Wigan and Rotherham maybe going up, doing things in, in a different way. And aligned with his his tactics though, Sam, they've, they've, they've bought cleverly this summer, haven't they? they they've bought players with big League One experience with other clubs that, that in the main, know what needed to be done to get out of the division. Yeah, and towards the, the tail end of last season, there were some names they were rumoured to be interested in, which kind of were, you know, taking my breath away, you know, big gasp. I thought they were going to throw loads of money at it. That's not necessarily been the case. So that was one surprise. I thought they were not going to have the overhaul that they had under Paul Cook, but still go for, for some real stellar names. So I think... 
in, in your question is, is spot on in terms of the type of player that could make the step into the championship and stellar signings for the for the League One level like Harness, like Leif Davis on the left-hand side, like Ladapo, who have had promotions before or been in the higher echelons of, of League One. And yeah, it's, there's a lot of attacking prowess, not necessarily someone I'd put my house on being a regular goal-getter, but because of the number of options... The, the manager can mix it up and he made five changes at the weekend after the win at Burton where they weren't brilliant but that's some luxury to be able to do that at this stage of the season and then get a resounding win at um, Shrewsbury and I don't know if Nancy's included Steve Cottrell's quote in her piece but he was asked to, to surmise the game and he said they're better than us um, <laughs> that was the end and I think we're going to get a lot of that this season and obviously I spent 18 months at Ipswich I speak to people there still I think the infrastructure has really improved. That's the first thing everyone says, the sports science, uh, filming, training, analysing everything. And I don't think that joined up thinking was there maybe under the previous ownership. Well, I know that, that it probably wasn't. And they made wholesale changes to the squad last year without the, the, the thought process probably behind it. And all that seems to have come together. He looks the real deal. I think he doesn't sacrifice that attacking prowess defensively. I think the balance is perfect. They've got the best goalkeeper in the division, Walton. I don't know how they got him on a on a permanent. Mm. Arguably the best young centre-half in Wolfenden. I love him. And as Nancy described, this style of play was... There was a huge onus on the right-hand side last season with Danassian and, and Wes Burns. Um, and what he's done, he's gone and got Leif Davis on the left-hand side and Harness, who can pull into that position. So... Where they were completely lopsided, and I know this from speaking to my mates who are managers, what are we going to do about Ipswich's right side? How do we deal with this? How do we um, go about it? Now they've got two-pronged attacks with the, the left-hand side being strong as well. So, yeah, they look fantastic right now. From the people that you spoke to, Nancy, as well, final one here, what, what's his coaching style like? Because you know, I've, Ipswich have had a very... Uh, set way of appointing managers, I would argue, over the last decade. They've they've consistently gone for managers with a lot of lower league experience. Now, I've got their list. You see, if I go back to 2012, Paul Jewell was in charge back, back in 2012. And then you've got, you know, Mick McCarthy and Paul Hurst, who, you know, have been at Grimsby, Paul Lambert and Paul... I mean, they also like to appoint people called Paul. I'm, I'm realising <laughs> as I go through this list. Paul Cook as well. So all of those experienced lower league managers. So they've gone they've gone different here with Kieran McKenna, a bit like when we were talking about Rob Edwards and the younger coaches and where they have their their links. What what did you gain for, or garner about his coaching style when when you were talking to people? I think most of all they've just been really impressed with um, the training sessions. Apparently every training session is different, so they don't feel complacent or bored or that they switched off um, and that he's very hands-on he gets really involved in training and just that attention to detail is there and that's I don't think was intended to be a criticism of Paul Cook or any of the many Pauls before him it's just maybe that kind of maybe it feels more joined up in terms of you know he's a younger coach and if those players have been at other clubs where that's been more standard maybe and then you put on top of it his quite interesting sort of tactical setup then it seems to be working out quite well. But um, they seemed really impressed with the way that he approaches training specifically and, and being involved and changing it up regularly to, to keep them engaged. I mean, he's going to, it's still some job to get them out of this division, Sam. I mean, this is my favourite 
division. It, re- it really is. And you could, I don't know, you could probably look at 10 teams who would all think they should be going up. And that's before you get to a side that may surprise us, whether that's, I don't know, Exeter, for example, who've, who've started the season well off the back of their promotion from League Two last season, just to throw one out there. But, I mean, there, there are some big clubs in this division who will all think they ought to be out of it. Yeah, and there's huge expectation at Ipswich. Nobody knows that yeah. more, than, more than me. You don't get three or four bad games. You get half a bad game. <laughs> Um, and they let they let they let me know anyway. Um, let it so, let it go. Let it go. Yeah. Sam. yeah. So um, so Kieran McKenna will will face that at, at some stage. What I really liked about his post match actually on on Saturday is that so open with his tactics, described exactly what they needed to improve on at half time. They implemented it in the second half. That's probably why he doubled down on it. But um, I think some managers can be so guarded. I think that shows a real belief that he can be flexible in, in what he does from from game to game. So, yeah, he, he's really impressed me since, he, since he's gone in there. But as you say, I think people like Charlton disregarded yeah. maybe with the, with the bookies and stuff like that. But they've gone and, this is kind of my opinion, they've gone and cherry-picked the better players from League One, League Two over the last couple of windows. They've got some really good players. Jaden Stockley, Jayasimi was Swindon's best player when they went and got him. Fraser was MK Don's best player. Went to Ipswich, didn't quite work out. Lavelle, Morecambe's best player. I mean, O'Connell, Rochdale's arguably best defender. Yeah, yeah. They've gone and got some good players. So are they, they, should... they disregarded because it's Ben Garner's first season in, in charge of, of them having left Swindon? Possibly, and maybe because of yeah, the, the, the churning managers as well. Uh, Bowyer, obviously, uh, Johnny Jackson. Ownership changes, maybe just because it's not on, on a, a steady footing right now. But obviously, I watched a lot of Ben Garner, Swindon. You know, that should translate no problem at all to Charlton with better players. So I put them as playoff potentials. And Portsmouth, another one off, off the top of my head. Love the way that they've started the season. Brilliant signings. Good depth now, able to make changes similarly to Ipswich from game to game, which you wouldn't invariably get this stage of the season. The eleven would be pretty set. And maybe the signing of the season in Colby Bishop. Watch this guy for Accrington terrorise teams at League One level. And been thinking about this a lot the last few days. I love watching him and Charles together, who Bolton went and got. I thought there was an opportunity for a championship side or a League One top side to go and say, there's two or three million quid, we'll have the pair of them. Why doesn't it happen? Those two were absolutely glorious together. Big man, little man, both at a non-league, incredible work ethic, and now both prospering at at bigger clubs in the the level. Why doesn't that happen? Because actually, that that, that would make an awful lot of sense, wouldn't it? I watched them at the Valley against Charlton, and I watched them against Portsmouth at Fratton Park. Um, John Coleman's side were going really well at the time, but a lot of their success was down to those two who who know the game brilliantly for guys that have had different routes. Colby Bishop in terms of his positioning, the way he uses his body. Charles is more mobile, um, the good player off the shoulder. And they complemented each other brilliantly. I'm not sure. Maybe they, they need to be mates. You couldn't necessarily take Teddy Sheridan or Andy Cole in their heyday together, could you? So um, maybe you have to have that that working relationship as as well. It needs to be good. Um, but yeah, maybe that's an idea for the future. Those two should be, rekindle that partnership. It was great. 
Let's just uh, nip into League Two, uh, and we'll mention Neil Wood, who left the under-23s at Manchester United to take over at Salford. They had a good start to the season, lost last weekend, so they've they've, they've dropped down a, a little bit. Uh, I mean, again, in a division where you know fifteen teams could be in the running here to to get pro- promotion, but um, he's the latest in in Salford's quest to find someone who can get them out of this division. Nancy, I think League Two is really strong this year. We, and maybe that's because, you know, you've got the likes of Stockport and Grimsby that have come back in. And admittedly, I think a lot of people had Stockport down as automatic promotion contenders and it, it's been a bit of a rough start for them. But Salford are a funny one, aren't they? Because again, they're probably a team a bit like Ipswich where maybe everyone whacks them in their playoffs or top two uh, predictions at the start of the season. But I, I would expect them to be there or thereabouts this year again. They've got some great players. Um, obviously, Thomas Asante's got four in five, which is never a bad thing. And it's just that consistency or, you know, where they've changed their manager mid-season previously. And I don't know if it's always gone to plan. And, you know, because this is a new high for them in terms of the the pyramid. And, and they're one of those teams that are looking to probably emulate Forest Green or whatever and go higher. Whereas we've seen how quickly teams can fall. It's actually quite difficult, maybe more difficult than we realise to to shoot up in the other direction if it's a new step uh, for a club. So it is quite interesting to see what they how they go. The, the division is actually led by one of Salford's former managers at the moment, in, in Richie Wellens, who who actually, Sam, when, whenever I've spoken to Richie Wellens, I, I think he's a really impressive individual again. When I first spoke to him when he was in charge at Oldham, he talked about what he wanted to do with Oldham and it made complete sense, little, no, little knowing the, the state that Oldham would eventually find themselves in. The way Leighton Orient are run, and they are a very well-run club, aren't they? They seem like a perfect fit at this early stage, Wellens and Leighton Orient. Richie has got the potential to be a top manager, in my opinion. And as you alluded to there, he got an incredible raw deal at Oldham and Salford, I would say. I watched him in his tail end of his tenure there. They just couldn't put the ball in the net. They dominated games. I saw one of his final games was at Wembley against Portsmouth, division above in the Football League trophy. They won that game. And I think Nancy's points there, really valid. They just need to stick with a plan, Salford, um, first and foremost. And I think that's why I'm so encouraged with this appointment of Wood. I think if he's given the opportunity to bring some younger players to the club and have a real unique playing style and they stick with that, there'll be success because Salford don't know what they are right now. They flitted between being a a football team under Richie Wellens, a progressive passing team to a long ball team last season, long ball team for a period under uh, Graham Alexander. They need to stick and they need to build from the, the, the bottom of the club. And then I'm sure with the financial backing, the success will follow. So I see that as being a really positive appointment. Back to, to Richie Wellens, perfect fit, I think, for, for Orient. Mm. Already you're seeing his stamp on that side. Very progressive, fast attacking football. And he's got great options in the in the front positions as well. And what he does, again, like Kieran McKenna, wears his heart on the sleeve, te- doesn't sugarcoat anything, gives the press good answers, and the fans will know exactly where they are with him. And the final one, the final one of the pod, which means we're ending it on a low, but Nancy, Rochdale looked like the latest Northwest football club to be in a real mess. 
They've had a bit of a rough time of it for the last year and a half. We did loads of stuff on it last year if people are interested on sort of hostile takeover attempts and all that. And and I'm sure that's not helped. But obviously, yeah, Robbie Stockdale's um, gone already. It's sort of been sacked this season. And I I think the signs were there maybe last season. They were struggling a bit. And, and I know that fans were kind of concerned with what they were seeing on the pitch. It's a worry for them. Hopefully that they get the right person in who can turn it around because I think their biggest fear is is looking down at the National League and like a lot of clubs in League Two, thinking the worst thing actually would be being down there and, and not knowing how to get out of it again because it is such a difficult league now. So, um, yeah, it's, it is a bit of a worrying start for them, but, I mean, there's plenty of time yet. Uh, thank you both. Remember, for the biggest stories from the EFL, you can head to The Athletic, subscribe for just a pound a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com slash football pod. There'll be more from me tomorrow. Bye-bye. The Athletic.